We welcome you tonight. We're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, jump into our Bible study, and then we'll give time for our uh, prayer time uh, as well later on. We're going to be in the book of Jude again, and we're looking at Road to the Apostates, Part 2. And uh, you can go ahead and find Jude, and also go ahead and find Matthew chapter 23. We've got a lot of scripture to cover tonight, and you're probably already learning, and um, if you've been with us for any time, how much Jude takes us back into the Word. Uh, the Old Testament, and uh, we've looked at quite a bit of Old Testament scripture, and we'll look at some more tonight. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started, and probably some more will be coming in. And uh, we're glad you're here, uh, glad you're warm, everybody warm, looks like, for the most part, and you're excited about more snow possibly coming in, maybe just a little bit, and uh, I'm not really excited, are you? Uh, but let's pray, and we'll get started tonight. Father, we praise your name. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness to us. The fact that we're here tonight, that we're breathing, that we're living, that we have strength and capacities to study your word and to even speak are all a gift from you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to rejoice in your goodness, to realize who we are and what we have in Christ. I pray for each group that is meeting this evening around this building. Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, work in an awesome way. Draw each one close to you. If anybody's here tonight that does not know Christ in any of these classes, I pray tonight the Holy Spirit will show them their need of Christ, convict them, and bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Lord, I pray for believers who might be here tonight that are struggling, uh, that are laboring under difficulties. I pray tonight that as they consider afresh and anew your goodness, that uh, they'll be drawn to you and be strengthened and encouraged in the inner man. Open your word up to us tonight as we continue to study uh, this little book, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand, that you'd help us to apply. I pray the Holy Spirit will be our teacher tonight as we once again look at these apostates and what you have to say about them. We love you and praise you now in the Savior's name. Amen. All right, so you're in Jude and Matthew 23. And uh, we're going to jump in there again. And I gave you a worksheet. Hey, Sheila, how are you? And I'm going to grab a copy tonight, so I know where you're at. I'm always asking you, I'll put it on your worksheet and I'm going to grab a copy tonight. We're going to do a little bit of review. Uh, I gave you that definition again of what apostasy is. Hey, brother. And uh, simply defined, apostasy is a turning away from the truth. You might be wondering, well, why do you keep bringing this up? Why do you keep talking about apostasy and what it is? Well, because that's what Jude talks about. That's who we're looking at in the book of Jude. Maxwell Coder defines an apostate as one who has received light, but not life. Apostates claim to be Christians, but they are not Christians, nor are they just merely unbelievers. Apostates know the truth, but do not act upon it. They perform an inside job and are tools of the enemy to destroy the foundation of the church, even though they themselves may be blind to this reality. The apostate may have received the written word in some way, but not the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should remember that an apostate is not a true believer who walks away from his salvation. Now, why is that the case? Because that's an impossibility. If someone's truly born again, they're born again for all eternity. There are many professors of Christ, but not possessors. There are many who claim to be saved that are not. It says there, an apostate professes, but does not possess. So just so we're sure again who we're talking about, we're not talking about backslidden Christians. We're not talking about people that just don't know Christ. We're talking about people that know the truth, they know the truth, but they've rejected it. They're unbelievers, and they're apostate, 
And uh, they may have received the written word, but not the living word. And so the enemy uses them and he places them uh, in the church. And he uses them, as we see here uh, in the book of Jude, a little review as well. You know, Jude wanted to write about salvation. That was his theme. That's what he wanted to write about. But he says, it's needful for me that I write to you concerning these men. And the Bible says there in Jude, what they crept in unawares. Uh, they didn't come in announcing their presence that we're apostate. Uh, they crept in the midst and they began to attack uh, two main things. Remember, uh, the grace of God and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just go back and read the verses leading up to our passage tonight. And we'll just do a quick review here. Jude 1. You know, if you find Jude, it's only one chapter. So Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, Oh, we know who's writing to believers there. Mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you, beloved. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Verse four, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Who are they? They're ungodly men. They turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, uh, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We've already dealt with some very heavy, deep things. And we started last time we were together looking at the first part of this study tonight there at verse eight. And he begins to describe the apostates. Verse eight. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. And we come to tonight's verse, verse 11. Woe to them, for they've gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perish in the rebellion of Korah. Now, last time we gave you five uh, characteristics of those apostates from those verses. They're dreamers. Uh, they're immoral. Uh, they're rebellious. They're blasphemous. And they're corrupt. And uh, we looked at those five. And tonight we want to add the sixth one onto that. And the sixth one uh, is mentioned there in verse 11. That is, they are doomed. These apostates are doomed. Um, they're not going to continue forever in their evil ways and their evil deeds and their wickedness. God, the Holy Spirit, pronounces a woe upon them. Now, when you see that in Scripture, when God says woe to someone or the Lord Jesus Christ says woe to them, I think I have, well, make sure I have it in your notes. Um, it says there, woe to them is an uh, imprecation of doom. And I, we've listed several uh, verses there for you. It's the opposite of a blessing. So think about that. When God or Christ said woe to someone, it's the exact opposite of being a blessing. Let's see an example in the life of Christ. Go to Matthew 23. 
And we'll look at that passage there that you have listed, Matthew 23, 13 through 29. And I want to take the time for you to see this because I want you to see the Lord Jesus pronounce a woe upon some people. And, uh, of course, we have here God's word. He's pronounced woe upon these apostates. But look at Matthew 23, and we'll begin reading at verse uh, 13. And uh, he's talking here to the scribes and Pharisees. And if you remember from reading your Bible, the Lord Jesus often had some very strong things to say to the Pharisees and to this group of people. Verse 13 of Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple is nothing. And we keep going down through there. Verse 23, drop down. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Go down to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you built the tombs of the prophets and adorned the monuments of the righteous. And we go down through that passage, and we, we kind of went hurriedly, and we had to skip some of it and just point out the woes there. But I want you to see there, it's serious business when God says, woe to you. As we've already mentioned, it's the opposite of blessing. Now think about that. Anybody in the right mind wants God's blessing upon their life, right? You want God's blessing, not God's woe to you. So we come back to Jude now. And Jude writing says this in verse 11. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, woe to them. To who? The apostates. And then what he does is he takes us back in the Old Testament. Now, he's already done this before. We went back and studied about uh, a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah, about the people coming out of Egypt. Uh, we talked about the angels who fell and from the proper domain. We even talked about the body of Moses last time we studied and uh, all about that. And tonight he takes us back and, and he examines again and mentions again uh, three people, three men uh, from the Old Testament. And these men, as you see in verse 11, are the men Cain, Balaam, and Korah. So I want you to do some uh, going back in your mind. It may have been some time since you've studied these characters. I don't think we've studied them recently uh, in Sunday school that I remember. But we're going to go back tonight and look at these stories briefly. And see what he's saying here. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now, let me say something right now. Those three are not good company to keep. Uh, there are some folks that you might want to be named it with, but those are three you don't want to be named with. Uh, let's look at them. Let's revisit their stories. Let's visit Cain first. He talks about the way of Cain. Go back to verse uh, or chapter 4 of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. Now, we know who Cain was, right? You know the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, we pick up our reading there at Genesis chapter 4. And we'll begin reading there at verse 1. And then keep it there uh, because we'll look at some more verses here in this passage. Now Adam knew Eve his wife. I'm reading Genesis 4.1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. 
Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So one was a shepherd, one was a farmer, if you will. Okay, verse three. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. And don't close it up, but just stop for a moment. I want to say tonight there are millions who are following in the footsteps of Cain, who are following the way of Cain. Cain is all about, if you will, a works religion. A works religion. In other words, Cain, instead of bringing a blood sacrifice, instead of bringing a lamb like Abel did, he brought fruits that he had grown. Okay, and here's the thing about it. I believe that Cain brought the very best fruit that he had. I don't think he picked stuff that was no good. I think he picked the very best that he had. and He brought it as an offering to the Lord. But the Bible says that God rejected his offering. Now, why? Well, because human effort, human effort and human merit always falls short. The Bible says what? All our righteousness is what? As filthy rags. We can't work our way to God. We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot be saved by our own merit, our own effort, our own works. Now, it's obvious that Cain knew the truth. I really believe he knew the truth. You know, Abel brings his sacrifice and offers it to the Lord. And Cain, he decides, well, I'm going to bring a sacrifice, but I'm not going to bring the right kind of sacrifice. I'm going to bring the best I have, probably. But it was not good enough. He's supposed to bring a lamb. He's supposed to bring a blood sacrifice. But here's what happened. He ignored the word of God. He ignored the word of God. Yeah, God said bring a lamb and offer him in a blood sacrifice. But these are some good looking vegetables. These are some good looking fruit. I'm going to bring it. Surely God will be pleased with this. But God says, no, I'm not pleased with it. And the sad thing is, if the story ended here, it'd be one thing. But we're going to read a little bit further. Verse eight. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field. What happened? Cain rose up against the ablest brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then drop down to verse 16. Then Cain, we're, we're skipping a little bit in the story, but look at verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Let me give you some other references you can jot down. Listen to Hebrews 11:4. Hebrews 11:4 says, "By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks." Listen to 1 John 3:12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteousness. You see, Jude says that these apostates he's talking about there in the book of Jude, they've gone the way of Cain. They've gone the way of Cain. They ignore the word of God. They reject the word of God. They have their own man-made religion. 
They have what they want to do, what they want to establish as, as the standard. They're wise in their own eyes, but the Bible says they're fools. They're wise in their own eyes, but they're fools. And so it says that the apostates, they've gone in the way of Cain. They ignore God's word. It's a works religion. But then it says what next in Jude? We're back in Jude again. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they've gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. So we have another character here. The man Balaam. Now you'll find Balaam's story uh, there in uh, the book of Numbers. So let's go to Numbers. And uh, we'll have to do some skipping around because we obviously don't have time to read chapters 22, 23, and 24 tonight. I'm assuming you do want to go home later, right? And I know there's choir practice afterwards, and we have to pray. Uh, so we're going to do some, some skipping around here. But the story you'll find of Balaam in Numbers 22 through 24. Now, you probably remember that Balaam was the prophet for, for prophet. Uh, and the second prophet I'm talking about is P-R-O-F-I-T. He's the prophet for profit, the prophet for hire. And while you're finding Numbers 22, you might want to listen to this verse. Second Peter 2.15 says this. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved, listen, who loved the way, wages of unrighteousness, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. That's Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Now, as a way of review, look at that note I put on the bottom of page one there. The error of Balaam is the desire to become personally wealthy by making a business out of the service of God. Balaam professed to be a prophet of God, but he was covetous and willing to prostitute his prophetic gift for money. Five times Balak paid him to curse Israel, and he was more than willing to do it, but he was forcibly restrained by God. Many of the things that he said were true and beautiful, but after all that, he was a hireling prophet. He couldn't curse the men of Israel, but he eventually succeeded in luring them into sin with the daughters of Moab. And so what happened, of course, is he's the prophet for prophet. Now, let's begin reading some of those verses. Go to Numbers uh, 25 here, and we're going to look here at how he lured them. Uh, into sin, as you will, it just said there. Numbers 25, 1 through 5. Now Israel remained in a, um, a Acacia grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders... Uh, of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Uh, go to Numbers thirty-one sixteen. Numbers thirty-one sixteen. You know, he was hired to curse and God wouldn't let him curse, but... He succeeded in leading them astray and luring them to sin with the daughters of Moab. Numbers 31 and verse 16, the Bible says, Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. And then here's something interesting. Look at Revelation. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament, I mean, New Testament now. Revelation chapter 2. 
And Balaam's mentioned there. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Revelation 2, verse 14. Of course, you know, these are the letters to the seven churches. Uh, and we have there in chapter 2, verse 14, these words. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Now let me ask you, you know that Balaam's the prophet for prophet. Do we have Balaam's in our world today? Yes, absolutely. They can say things that sound wonderful, that sound true, but in reality, these kind of folks, they speak out of both sides of their mouth. Uh, They say what is profitable for them. They're in it for the money. They're in it for the wages of unrighteousness. The Bible talked about Balaam loving that. Now listen, when money becomes the motive, truth is negotiable. Let me say that again. When money becomes the motive, truth is negotiable. If money is the motive in a ministry, in a church, in a person's life, when it comes to things of God, then that means the truth is negotiable. Whatever is profitable, not for righteousness, not for godliness, but for my pocketbook. Uh, the preacher Tom Farrell was right when he said, fame, females, and finances have destroyed many a preacher of the gospel. He's right. Fame, females, and finances have destroyed many a preacher of the gospel. Money must never, must never be a factor in proclaiming the truth of God's word. Must never be a factor. But there are many tonight who follow in the footsteps of Balaam. And they follow him. And Jude says about these apostates he's talking about here. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam. For what? For profit. For profit. For money. Well, if that weren't sad enough, you have Cain and you have Balaam. Now we have Korah. And Korah, you'll find Korah's story in number 16. Now, we're going to read some of that tonight. We obviously can't read everything here. And I would encourage you, if you want to go back and read some of these chapters, we're having to quickly surmise here tonight. Um, to do that. But in number 16, you have Korah. And uh, you have the rebellion of Korah. And uh, we go back now, Numbers chapter 16. And we're going to read quite a bit of this and see what went on here and uh, see what lessons God has for us. Number 16, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers uh, 16. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abram and the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Now notice verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, notice what they said, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? You got the picture now? They're rebelling against Moses and Aaron, God's leaders, God's chosen leaders. Verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he smacked them and said, Who do you think you are? I'm the boss around here. Is that what your Bible says? No. Look at verse 4. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he... 
he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Notice that Moses appeals to the Lord. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? To bring you near to himself and to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them. And he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? In other words, aren't you satisfied what God's already given to you? Verse 11. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan, the Abraham, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing to you that we brought us up by the land flowing of milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing of milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. In other words, my hands are clean, my heart is clear, I've done nothing against them. Verse 16. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord. You and they, as well as Aaron, let each take his censer and put incense in it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 censers. Both you and Aaron, each with a censer. So every man took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Can you in your mind's eye kind of set in this picture here? All right, let's see what happens. Verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan, Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from the round of tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents. Now notice, with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them on my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah and with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished among the assembly. Then all Israel, who were around them, 
fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. And we'll stop right there. But can you imagine what that must have been like to watch that? What do you think God thought about the rebellion of Korah? God made it pretty clear, didn't he? The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and all their stuff and people and all their family with them alive. And Jude says about the apostates that he's writing about back in the book of Jude. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. To summarize, beloved, I like what O.S. Hawkins said about this. He said, Cain ignored the word of God. Balaam opposed the word of God. And Korah rebelled against the word of God. Let me say that again. Cain ignored the word of God. Balaam opposed the word of God. But, and Korah rebelled against the word of God. You get that there in your notes. Now, here's the question tonight. Are we guilty of doing any of those things? Are we guilty of ignoring God's word? Are we guilty of opposing God's word? Are we guilty of rebelling against God's word? And here's the wonderful thing. As believers, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, and the Lord's your saving, your sins forgiven, heaven is your home, you're not doomed. You're not damned. You're not going to fall away from the Lord if you're truly born again. But you know what? While we may not be doomed or damned, we can be disqualified. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, Paul feared this. Go to 1 Corinthians 9, and we'll look at verse 27 there. Now, can you think of many people that are a greater Christian than the Apostle Paul? Um, Could we even hold a candle to the Apostle Paul? I mean, look at the way God used him. But he had a fear in his life, in a sense, if you will. And that is the fear of becoming disqualified. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's interesting as I was thinking about that. In other words, disqualified to carry on the work that God has given. Disqualified to, to do everything that God had wanted you to do. How many pastors, how many preachers do we know of that either fame or finances or females or something else destroy their ministry? It's interesting as I was thinking about this to compare the apostates and the apostle Paul. And I started making a list and, and just think about this for a moment. The apostates live for their bodily lust. But Paul says, listen, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Anybody have a different word for discipline there in your, your version? Is that what yours says? Beat? I think the King James, didn't the King James say buffet? I buffet my body? Is that where it says that? Nobody has a King James tonight? Is that what it says? I buffet my body? Do I not buffet my body? That's what many people want to do. I buffet my body. I beat my body. I, I discipline my body. Why? I bring it to subjection. The apostles lived for bodily lust. The apostle Paul lived 
for the glory of God. The apostates didn't care about others. They cared about themselves. Paul cared for others, and he cared for others, and he cared for others. The care of the churches, the care of the believers, the care of uh, his children in the faith. Uh, He lived right. The apostates' motive was sinful and lustful and, and, and material gain. Paul's motives were pure. I mean, he labored with his own hands that he might not be chargeable to the churches. The apostates sought to glorify themselves and lift themselves up. And Paul sought the glory of God. And here's the question that came to my mind before we go to prayer tonight. And it's a question that all of us should ask ourselves. And that is, what are my motives for ministry? What are my motives for ministry? Now, every one of us should ask that question. If you're a child of God and you're saved, then you have a ministry. I hope you have a ministry. You're supposed to have a ministry. God's gifted you uh, in so many ways and given you a spiritual gift, at least one. Uh, Given you resources, given you life, health, strength, the brain, hands, arms, legs. What are your motives in ministry? Now, first of all, don't answer. What is your ministry? Do you know what your ministry is? Maybe you care for others. Maybe you teach a Sunday school class. Maybe you do whatever it is. Maybe various things. But as you do ministry, what is your motive in ministry? Now, here's some questions. We consider this. I have them on your sheet there, page two. Unlike Cain, am I following God's word? Unlike Cain. Now, what did Cain do? He ignored God's word. He said, well, God, I, you know, you say bring a blood sacrifice, but you know, I brought you some nice fruit. God says, I don't want that. The Bible says elsewhere, what? To obey is better than sacrifice. God wants our obedience. And so as we minister, we're to follow God's word. We're to obey God. Unlike Cain, am I following God's word? Number two, unlike Balaam, am I free from the love of money? Am I free from the love of money? You know, there are people tonight that are eaten up with covetousness and and envy, and they're poor as church mice. Not just the rich that suffer with that. They're those who have nothing. They want everything. Listen, are we free from the love of money? And unlike Korah, are we free from rebellion and the love of power? You know, sad to say, some people want to be in positions in the church because they're positions of authority. Or they're positions that are, maybe they're over a committee, over a group, or whatever. Listen, that's not what service to Christ is all about. A service to Christ is about honoring him and glorifying him. And so as I look at these apostates, I look at the Apostle Paul. I look at what their life consisted of in Paul's life. I look at my own life and our, all of our lives here tonight. Do we discipline our bodies? Do we bring them into subjection? Lest we become disqualified? Is there any hint of Cain in our life? Is there any hint of Balaam in our life? Is there any hint of Korah in our life tonight? Challenging words, don't you agree? Now, as I said before, those are three people who you really don't want to be in their company. When they list out names, you don't want your name to come next. But getting back to the point here of what Jude says, he says in verse 11, what? Woe to them. In other words, beloved, their time is limited. Their doom is sure. Their destruction's coming. You know, we have to realize that. We need to go to prayer. But let me just say this in closing in our Bible study time. Some people, I think, wonder, why does God allow all this to take place? All this evil and all these things that go on in our world. God is sovereign. 
Uh, God and his knowledge knew before he even created man that man was going to fall. Man was going to sin. Um, yet he still created us. He wanted us to have a relationship and fellowship with him. And here's the thing. You ever wonder why does he allow the devil to keep on going? I mean, he could have just spoke the word and spoke him out of existence or condemned him to hell. God in his sovereignty has done these things, allowed these things to go on. But Satan's days are numbered. The apostate's days are numbered. God doesn't want robots just to robotically worship him. He gave us the freedom to choose, did he not? He says, Adam and Eve, here's the Garden of Eden. Here's all these blessings. You can have all this except don't eat of this tree. And so we have to realize, as we look around the wickedness of our world, to realize that the days are numbered. Satan's days are numbered. His doom is sure. His destruction is coming. And we trust God. And we look to him. And we trust his providence and his sovereignty in our lives. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're facing tonight, but God does. And God cares and God loves you. Let us be careful about this right here. May our motives always be pure. May our hands and feet and hearts be pure and clean before God. And may we serve him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength for his glory out of a heart of love. Well, 